Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. And um, hey, if you guys got your Bibles, head over to James chapter 1. Um, James 1 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And as you'll see in just a minute, I am very excited about it. Um, now, hey, um, quick heads up while you're turning there. Um, I'm going to talk about my family a little more than normal today um, for reasons that will become really obvious um, in about two minutes. Um, so in order to lead into this, um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you a video of a conversation I had um, with me and my middle daughter, Felicity. Now, heads up, so I'm gonna show you this video. It's only 40 seconds long. Um, My daughters are right now up in my office watching this service, and they are going to watch to see how you responded. So when the video's done, help show my daughter how awesome you think she is. Okay, check this out. Felicity, are boys or girls better? Um, Both in my class, I love them. I want to Boys. Okay. Boys are in your class, but you don't like them? Mm-mm. Why not? You just don't like to play with them? No. What's wrong with boys? They're probably mean. They're probably mean? <laughs> Do you think you'll ever like boys? No. <laughs> Why not? I just don't like boys. <laughs> <laughs> Is she awesome? Is she awesome? That's right. <laughs> Felicity, you're awesome. Okay. Now, okay, so some of you saw that video and you were like, that kid's awesome. And then some of you, if you're brand new, you were like, she doesn't look like you. Okay. Now, let, let me give a quick heads up to lead into what I'm talking to today. Um, so I have three children, um, Eliana, Felicity, and Hudson. Uh, 1173, and they are all adopted. All three of our children came into our family um, through adoption, and we are really excited about that. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, now, uh, some of you, like, like I said, uh, let me introduce you to all of them because I'm, I'm going to be talking about that a little bit today. Um, this is a picture of last Christmas with my two daughters. That's Eliana in the middle. There's Felicity over there on the left. Now, some of you may be going, wait, I thought you said you had three kids. Where's Hudson? Well, here, here's the whole picture, and they're there's Hudson, and he's doing Hudson things. And, uh, and so that's my family. Now, um, we are in the middle of this series, the second to last week of the series that we're just calling Try Love. That's the title of the series, Try Love. And every week of this series, we've been looking at like one way that God expressly commands us to express his love, 
to let his love overflow through us out into the world. And uh, this week, we uh, landed this week of the series very intentionally. Um, today is National Adoption Day, and we are very excited about that. That's my family's very excited about it. And so here's what I wanna do, man. I, I wanna talk for a few minutes um, about there is this one theme in the Bible that is not just the center of God's a heart of his expressing love through us to the world, but there's this also this one doctrine that is the centerpiece of our understanding of God's love for us in his son, Jesus Christ, okay? And it's, it's the concept and the doctrine of adoption, okay? So we're gonna get right into it. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna move a little quicker and this is gonna be a little shorter than usual. So if you got your Bibles, James 1, here we go. It says this now, uh, the yellow words I've got here are the three points of my sermon. So I'm gonna have you say them out loud with me so to highlight a few things. It says, religion that God, our father, you gotta get that in your head. He's our father, except as pure and faultless as this. To look after who? Orphans, that's right, it says that. To look after orphans and widows in their distress, we're coming back to that, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, so there it is. It's just a very straightforward thing. The Bible's going, hey, if you wanna know what you could do that would honor the heart of God, that would align with his purposes in the world, and there's no, it's gonna be unstained, it's pure, no mixed motives. God goes, here's the thing. I want you to care for widows. And then what I wanna talk about today is I want my people to be a people who are a voice crying out in the wilderness of this barren world on behalf of, vo- of the voiceless orphans for the world. And I want you to care for them. Now, um, let me just kind of uh, show, show you something the Bible. Um, for you Bible scholars, you've been in your Bibles for maybe decades. <clears throat> you may have already noticed this, but when you look in the Bible, what you're gonna notice, it's almost like God has an obsession with orphans and it weaves its way through the entire scripture. So I'll, I'll give you some examples of this. Now, this verse I'm gonna show you on the screen, it's in Exodus 22. Remember your Bibles, Exodus 20 is where God gives the 10 commandments, the foundation of his law to his people. So that's Exodus 21 and Exodus 22. That's the 10 commandments. So Exodus uh, Exodus 20 and 21. Exodus 22, what we're getting ready to read is kind of the first expression outside of the 10 commandments where God goes, here's how I want my people and here's how I want my nation to function. And what you're gonna notice is there are four categories of people in this verse that God has a special care for. I'm gonna point them out to you, okay? So Exodus 22. He says, you shall not wrong a sojourner. Now, heads up, a sojourner, that's the Old Testament word for immigrant. So God's going, I I really want you to care for the immigrant. Now, I'm gonna say something. And when I say this, uh, you gotta know, when when I say some things, heads up, uh, Lake Point family, there's sometimes when I say things that other church members they are watching to see how you respond to know how you feel about them. So I'm gonna say something. And when I finish saying this thing, I need you to respond loud enough that our brothers and sisters in Lake Point and Espanol can hear you, okay? So so let me say something real quick. It is okay for Bible-believing Christians to debate how governments should relate to immigration policy. But... There can be absolutely no debate about how Christians relate to immigrant people with love and compassion. Amen. That's our thing. Like that's what that's what we do. So so you got this. God says this. He says, 
You, don't you, he says, don't you dare wrong an immigrant or oppress him. And he goes, here's why. Because you were immigrants. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So that's category one, immigrant. You shall not mistreat any widow, category two. Or, and then it uses this word, it says fatherless child, category three. Now, fatherless child, that's the Old Testament language for what in our culture we call an orphan. So that's the third category. And then fourth category, he says, hey, if you lend money to, uh, to any of my people with you who's poor, that's the fourth category. Uh, don't be like a money lender to him. Don't exact interest from him. From him. Uh, just help him, okay? So there's these four categories of people. Uh, the immigrant, uh, the immigrant, the widow, uh, the orphan, and the poor. And New Testament, or, or Bible scholars, they call these four categories of people, quote, the quartet of the vulnerable, because all throughout the Bible, God constantly talks about, it. he goes, hey, actually, I do have favorites. Here's my favorites. Those four kinds of people, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, and the poor. Those are my favorites. And God goes, I'll judge your love for me by how well you actually love them. So that's really interesting. Now, let me give you another one. The verse I'm getting ready to show you, second example, this is from the book of Job. Okay, now you guys remember the story of Job. Job is a righteous man, like good, upstanding dude, member of the community, you know, service-oriented, all that stuff. And then God allows Job to be tested by Satan and demons. They come and they take everything, except there's one, there's only one thing of Job's they leave. Remember, they take everything except his wife. And it's honestly, because they were like, bro, she's so bad, we think she's on our side. It's like, man, like, man, it's like, well, it's like, man, it seems like uh, she just forgot to badge in and she's with us. Uh, literally the only thing in the entire book of Job that Job's wife is recorded as saying is, quote, curse God and die. Wonderful woman. And this is what, uh, now there, there comes a spot in Job where he defends his righteousness to his friends who are accusing him. Watch how he defends his righteousness. He says, hey, if I have withheld anything that the poor desire, there's that category, or have caused the eyes of the widow, category two, to fail, uh, to fail or have eaten my morsel alone. Now watch this. And the fatherless, so the orphan has not eaten of it, for from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. Now, isn't that interesting? When Job wants to defend his righteousness to his friends, he goes, you wanna know how to know that I'm a righteous man? If there was ever a child that didn't have parents that was anywhere around me, I stepped forward and, and said, I'll be a dad for you. That's how you know, okay? Now, th that's the, the second example. Let me give you a third example. Um, in the book of Psalms, God does this thing, it's really interesting, where he, he, uh, he gives himself a nickname. All through the Psalms, God gives himself a nickname. Now, it's really interesting, think about, what, what would God uh, nickname himself? Okay, well, we'll check this out. This is how he nicknames himself. He says, hey, father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Now, here's why that's important. In the Old Testament, uh, kind of ancient Near East, all of the, um, the nations, they worship different gods and goddesses. And in every other nation, what the gods and goddesses of the nation did is they identified with the powerful, you know, I'm the God, of, this is the God of the kings. This is the God of the queens. This is the God of the military officials. This is the God of the wealthy. This is the God of the oppressor. This is the God of the, you know, the, the slave trade, the people who are in positions of power. But then our God came along and he said, you wanna know who I'm with? I'm with the orphan. I'm with the poor. That's whose side I'm on. Now that's really interesting. Now let me do one last one. Um, a lot of people, it's really, 
I never noticed this until we started adopting children into our family. And then once it happened, I'm like, how did I never see this? So think about this. Um, The Bible calls Joseph Jesus' father. But Joseph was not Jesus' biological father because Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. So think about this. When God himself wanted to put on flesh and come to earth, he came as an adopted child. Jesus was adopted on his dad's side. Now, this is so interesting. Let, let me just ask this question. Why in the world? So I could, do, I could literally do this for hours. Just trace the theme of God's love for the orphan and adoption through the Bible. So can I just ask this question? Why is God so obsessed with the orphan? Like, like what, what's going on here? Well, actually, this theological math is really easy. Here's how it goes. God loves people. And orphans are the world's most hurting people. That's actually as easy as it is, guys. Now, um, it, you, there, I want to point this out to you and give you a little historical background on this. In James 1.27, the verse I read at the beginning, it said to care for orphans, quote, in their distress. Now, there's a reason James said to care for orphans in their distress. Let me give you a little historical background of the culture that James was writing into. So this is ancient Rome. What you have to know about ancient Rome is that kids in ancient Rome had an absolutely awful, really a great deal of them died. So if a child was born into a poor family, it was almost uniformly just discarded. Um, What they would do is there was incredibly high infant mortality rates in ancient Rome. It's estimated that 40% of children died by their fifth birthday in ancient Rome. So high was the mortality rate that uh, Roman families, they didn't even name their children until they'd been alive for at least seven days because so many of them died within the first week. Now, of the ones who lived, of the kids who lived in ancient Rome, um, if a child was born to a poor family, if a child was a girl because of their lower socioeconomic status and their lower earning potential in ancient Rome and how they were viewed you know, through the eyes of the law, if it was a, a child born into a poor family, a girl or a child with a disability, they were almost uniformly discarded by the families. What they would do is they would take the children, it was a form of infanticide, they would take these brand new newborn children and they would abandon them in the wilderness or in forests around the, ex, uh, uh, around the, uh, the skirts of the cities where they were living. So you could walk around the edge of a city, around whether it was a desert or a forest, and you would hear the cries of newborn children who were being abandoned to their death. They left them on garbage piles. They would throw them in dung heaps. There's actually a Bible verse. A lot, of, a lot of people don't understand why Jesus said this. Do you guys remember? There was a, one time Jesus said, um, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean than for you to cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, do you guys know why Jesus said that? Because what they would do is they would take an infant that they didn't want to raise, they would tie a millstone around its neck, and they would throw it in a river or an ocean to, uh, it was an early form of abortion, just to kill the child because they didn't want to raise it. Now, what people would do is they would take the children that were discarded, and they would abduct them. You know, ill-meaning people, slavers, that kind of thing. They would take these children, they would abduct them. They would take the girls and they would force them into prostitution or sex trafficking. Absolutely horrific abuse for these girls that were discarded and then uh, taken up by, by these slavers. Orphaned boys would be turned into slaves. These were the boys that ended up fighting in gladiator games, dying for the entertainment of the people. Now, this was the environment that James writes when he goes, hey, 
These orphans are in distress. Care for them. And then Jesus came along and he changed how the world viewed children. You, know, you guys remember that time? Um, Jesus was teaching one time and, uh, and people started bringing him kids. Like all these people, they started bringing him kids. They were like, Jesus, will you please bless our kids? And, uh, and the disciples, remember James 1, it said, hey, don't let yourself be stained by the world. Where the disciples, they had been stained by the world. They had let the world's attitude towards the unborn and children rub off on them. And so they started adopting that attitude. And so they started rebuking the people who were trying to bring kids to Jesus. And they were like, hey, don't do that. Jesus turns around and rebukes his disciples. And he says, no, no, no. I love kids. I welcome kids. I want, a, I want kids on my lap. In fact, he even said, you've got to become like one of these kids to enter into my kingdom. And Jesus changed the entire world, viewed children from then on. In fact, the early church in Rome, one of the reasons it grew so fast is because what the early Christians did is they took Jesus' attitude towards kids and they took the doctrine of the Imago Dei, the belief that every person everywhere is created in the image of God and is of infinite value regardless of their wealth, their ethnicity, born, unborn, socioeconomic status. They just believe it doesn't matter. Everybody is equal in their value before God. So here's what the early Christians did. They gathered in the catacombs when they were meeting as the underground church in Rome. And they would gather in the middle of the night and they started organizing these baby runs. And they'd gather at midnight and then they'd go out from like midnight to 2 a.m. And they'd go all around the, ex, uh, the, the, the skirts of the city. They'd go past the dung heaps. They'd go past the trash piles. And they'd listen for the cries of these abandoned children, children with deformities, poor children, uh, uh, girls who had been abandoned just because they were girls. And the Christians started adopting them into their families in mass. I've actually been to Rome and visited the catacombs. In the catacombs, there's all these tiny, they're like, uh, they're, they're little child-sized coffins about this big because the early Christians, they gathered these children and sometimes they couldn't save them after their abandonment. And so there are little infant-sized tombs with inscriptions with names like this, names like Stercorius, which translates abandoned in the garbage. And the early Christians gathered these children and said, you can come be a part of our family because God is willing to adopt you into his. Now listen, let me ask you this question. Do you think the distress that orphans experience has gone away today? No. Let me just put this in perspective. Right now, there are 672,000 children in foster care in the United States. 51,000 of them are in the state of Texas. Right now, 9,000 children in the greater DFW area are in foster care, and 40% of them are in uh, foster care within 30 minutes of a Lake Point campus. Um, here's what happens. Every year, 30,000 children age out of the foster care system. Do you guys know what happens when you age out of the United States foster care system? Here's what happens. You turn 18... And on the day you turn 18, you are walked to the door of the foster care system. You are handed a $500 check from the U.S. government. At least that, that was true at the time of the writing of this sermon. A $500 check uh, from the U.S. government. And, and they say, good luck. Now, let me ask you this question. If you are 18 years old with no mom, no dad, no family support system, no higher education, $500 and no place to live, how would you do? Not good. You would probably be, quote, in 
distress. And that's exactly what happens. 25% of the children that age out of the foster care system are in jail within five years. Right now, let's zoom out. Zoom out to the world. Right now in Asia, where the greatest part of the orphan crisis in the world is, there are 60 million orphans in Asia alone. Let me put this in perspective for you. If you were to take all the orphans in the world and make them into their own country, so a country just comprised of the orphans in the world, that would be the seventh largest country in the world. Now that's not just having a, causing distress on the orphans, that causes distress on societies. Did you know, I shared this in the, the Act Like Men series, did you know that fatherlessness, fatherlessness is the number one contributor to all five of the following societal ills? Crime, homelessness, unwed pregnancy, poverty, and future fatherlessness. Fatherlessness, number one highest correlative on all five of those things. Joseph Stalin, who I'm not used to quoting in sermons on compassion, by the way. Joseph Stalin one time said, the death of one is a tragedy, but the death of a million is just a statistic, okay? So here's what I've learned as a preacher. I've learned some of you guys, you're like math people, you're stats people, give me stats, I get it, okay? Some of you are like, that didn't register for me at all, I need shapes and colors, okay? So it's like, hey, let me help you out. Some people are stats people, some people are story people, so let me give you a story. All right, I mentioned earlier um, my daughters, okay? We, we, uh, we got two uh, daughters, Eliana and Felicity, that we adopted, and I'll just, you know, just so we can have a good aw moment, you know, I'll, I'll get, this is my favorite little picture of them when they were little, okay? Give me a good aw. That's good. Thank you so much. So th this, is, um, this is our first ever daddy-daughter donut date at Dunkin' Donuts with Felicity. That's the first ever. Now, by the way, we are still doing this every weekend uh, seven years later. So, so this is what we were doing. Now, back then, um, Felicity, oh, thanks. That's, that's unexpected. Okay. Now, Felicity, um, you'll see the ketchup packets in her hand. Felicity wouldn't eat the donuts, but she likes squeezing the ketchup packets. That's, so that's what that is. Now, that's, that's my two girls. Now, that's the cute picture. Now, let me show you my favorite picture of my two girls. It's, uh, it's this one. That's it. Uh, we call that, that's the mean mug picture. So that's them at the dinner table doing their mean mug. Now, um, let me, you can take that down. Now, um, <clears throat> let me give you a story. So you know, we were talking about stats. Let me give you a story. Uh, one of our daughters, um, we got a little bedtime routine every night. We sing a little song. I quote a little Bible Psalm 1 over them. And we do our little bedtime routine. And then we'll just talk for a little bit. And one night when uh, one of our daughters, she was, think about this, she was two years old. And, you know, asking questions, you know, Paw Patrol questions or, you know, wherever. And then she asked this question. She just said, um, why didn't my mommy want to keep me? And, uh, dude, I'm like, I'm like trying not to lose it, you know. <laughs> but, but we just went, we went, oh, babe, listen, your birth mommy, she loved you so much. She loved you so much that she wanted you to have the best possible life. And baby, she loved you so much that when she realized she wouldn't be able to give you the life that she wanted to be able to give you, she made the hardest decision of her entire life. She made the decision to place you so that you could have the life that she wanted you to have. Baby, you are so loved. And, we did, and then we said this, we said, and we loved you, baby, we picked you. We chose you. Like all these other families who just had normal birth children, they got stuck with their kids. We picked you. We chose you, babe, you know? We were like, you are so, so, so loved. And then um, for about a year of her life, every night she would, uh, she'd pray four things. She'd pray, uh, dear God, please, no bugs crawling on me at night. Totally understand, you know? 
Uh, number two, she prayed, dear God, please no, house, no fires in the house. Also totally understand, you know, you gotta pray just to be safe, you know. Uh, number three is uh, she would pray, dear God, please no bad dreams. And then last thing she'd pray is, dear God, thank you that I have a mommy and a daddy. Now I want you to think about this. There are more than 60 million children in the world who cannot pray, dear God, thank you that I have a mommy and a daddy. Now, real quick, um, some of you are like, bro, this is heavy. (laughs) This is really rough. Okay, let me just encourage you. Can I just encourage you? You are a part of a church that cares. Like we care. Can I just, let let me just show you how much we care. We are committed to loving children, womb to tomb. Listen, we are all in on caring and loving children and standing up for the rights of children. So, so listen, number one, right now, like where I'm at, at the campus I'm at, right now while you're worshiping in here, there are other countries where children that are detected with pre-birth deformities, they're being aborted at a near 100% rate. Okay, at Lake Point, we're going, those kids are created in the image of God and they matter. They matter. So right now, while you're in here, we have a sore ministry for children with disabilities that meet every week, and we make sure those families and those kids, they got a place where they're gonna be loved. They got a place where they're gonna be loved. Okay, number two, we have an adoption fund. And listen, this is my commercial for people that God might move in your heart. We have an adoption fund at Lake Point that I make sure stays very healthy and stopped. And if there is any family at Lake Point that wants to move forward with adoption, we will not let finances be your problem. We've got scholarships to help you through that process. So that's number two. But number three, here's my favorite one, okay? Back in 1998, there was a lady that was an attender here at our Rockwall campus. And earlier in her life, um, she had made the decision to terminate a pregnancy. And, uh, and she... Uh, She'd come to know the Lord and, and she carried around guilt and, and, uh, for that decision and, and she wanted to see it redeemed. And God had done a great miraculous work in her life to take away her sin and to give her a hope and a future and all these things. And, uh, and so she started to have this thing burn inside of her where she thought, man, um, what if the thing that has been my life's greatest misery could be redeemed and become my greatest ministry? And she began to have a heart for women who were facing that decision. And so she approached the elders of Lake Point Church in 1998 and went, hey, I've got a vision for this thing to help these women, to help these kids. I wanna make sure that this, I wanna help these people in their distress. And in 1998, the elders of Lake Point immediately didn't even have a follow-up meeting, went, yes, we're gonna financially help you. And they gave her funds to launch something that became the Pregnancy Resource Center of Rockwall. That thing has been in operation now for over 22 years. We still financially fund that thing every single year. And in those 22 years, over 1,800 children's lives have been saved and women have been helped. That's right. See, listen, man, that that, that stuff matters. Y'all, that that stuff matters. Now, listen, let me ask this question. So where are we gonna get the motivation to be people who are like, we are the people that care for the orphan. Where do we get this motivation? Well, did you notice this in James 1? It said, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God. And then I had you say it out loud. God, the Father. Did you notice that? James is saying to the reader, hey, remember your identity. God is your father. That means you're God's child. Now, here's why that matters, okay? In every other religion, worldview, and philosophy that has ever existed in the world besides Christianity, watch this, your activity leads to your identity. 
So what you do determines who you are before God. So for instance, in legalistic Christianity, it's like, well, if I obey all the rules of the Bible enough, then I sort of like work my way into God's good graces and I'll be saved because my good works outweighed my bad works. Ah, wrong. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. You'll go straight to hell believing that. No, no, no. See, that's activity leads to identity. Wrong. In Islam is, hey, how committed were you uh, uh, how committed were you, were you to the seven pillars? If you were committed enough in your activity, you were righteous enough in your activity, then you work your way up into acceptance by Allah, okay? In Buddhism, it's your commitment to the eightfold path. If you're committed enough to the eightfold path in your activity, then eventually that leads to a change in your identity and you become one with the universe or achieve nirvana or move to the next level of enlightenment, that, that sort of thing. In every other one, it's activity leads to identity except in Christianity. In Christianity and Christianity alone, God changes your identity by a sheer act of grace regardless of anything you have ever done or ever will do. He bestows on you an alien righteousness in the words of the theologians. He gives you and clothes you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He adopts you into his family. He calls you a son or a daughter. He changes your identity and then because your identity has changed, you're in a new family, you got a new dad, that eventually leads to a change in your activity. That's the best news you'll ever hear right there. You see, that, that is our message. That man, it's because I'm not the person I used to be anymore that I don't have to do the things I used to do anymore. It's identity leads to a change in activity. And listen, man, I can't say this often enough. Do you know what that means? That means that no matter who you are, you are not what you did. You are not your sin. You are not your transgression. It doesn't matter how bad what you did was, you are not your transgression. You are not your addiction. And I know you've stood up in a thousand AA meetings and said, hi, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. Listen to me. If you are a Christian, you may struggle with alcoholism, but your deepest identity is not your, that you are an alcoholic. It's that you are a child of the living God. That's your identity. Man, you are, listen, you are not your orientation. And man, I know you got a million people in your life telling you what you should and shouldn't do with that, your, that part of your life, but you are not your orientation. Man, you are not your affair. You are not your abortion. You are not your divorce. Listen to me. And you may look at me and go, yeah, Josh, but that's the biggest thing that ever happened in my life. No, it isn't. If you're a Christian, Jesus dying on the cross for you is the biggest thing that ever happened in your life. That is what defines you and nothing else. So, so listen, it's a change in our identity that leads to a change in our activity. Now, let me make this personal. Okay, let me kind of land a plan. Let me make this personal. Here's how, here's how this works. Um, when people ask me and Jana, why did you choose to adopt? I think they're expecting us to respond with, oh, well, biology did. Hey, we struggle with infertility. And because we want to have children, then, you know, we chose to adopt. That's not true. We made the decision to adopt when we were still dating before we were even engaged. We already knew as Christians someday we wanted to adopt. So watch this. It was not biology that led us to adopt. It was theology that led us to adopt. You see, here's what's happening here. See, the controlling analogy of the New Testament for what happens to a Christian, the controlling analogy is adoption. The great theologian just passed on a couple years ago, J.I. Packer, was once asked, what is Christianity in a sentence? And he said, adoption through propitiation. Write that down, that's the best answer you ever heard. Adoption through, so adoption is the controlling analogy of what happens to you as a Christian. Now, 
let me show you some things you have never noticed before in the Bible. So, so I, I want to make sure you understand this. Let's do a little theology really quick. Do you remember right before Jesus ascended into heaven, what he turned and said to his disciples? He said, I will not leave you as orphans. He didn't say, I won't leave you alone. He didn't say, I'm going to make sure you're not lonely. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, I came once and I'm going to come back again. I'm going to bring you all the way home. Do you know why he said that? If you've ever met somebody who does an international adoption, they almost always take two trips to the country from which they're adopting. On the first trip they go, listen to me, and they fulfill all of the legal requirements necessary to execute the adoption. And then they go back and the second time they come, they take the child all the way home. Now listen, the first time Jesus came as the suffering servant, son of man, he came and lived a perfect life that you did not live. And then he died a death on the cross. He did not just die for you. He died instead of you taking the penalty for your sin. And when he did that, he fulfilled all the legal requirements necessary to adopt you as his child. And then he left and he said, how many of y'all understand the next time he comes, he's gonna bring us all the way home, amen? He's gonna bring us all the way home. See, he was given, it was an adoption analogy, okay? I'll give you another. Jesus, one time he turned to a bunch of people, he said, hey, you know what your problem is? You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> it's very straightforward. <laughs> You're of your father, the devil. Now, how could that be that you used to have one father, the devil, but now you've got God as your father? How could you change fathers? Adoption. You changed fathers through adoption. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another one. You remember in Romans 8, what it says about uh, the children of God, it says, for you have not been given a spirit of fear to fall back again into slavery, but you have been given a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. We're crying out to our dad. Do you remember the book of Revelation? In the book of Revelation, I love this passage. I have no idea what the heck it means. I just think it's awesome. It says, in the new earth, when Jesus returns, he's gonna give every one of his kids a little white stone. And on that stone, the Bible says, will be a new name. God is gonna give you a unique new name as his son or his daughter. Now, why is God allowed to give you a new name? Because he adopted you. <laughs> When you adopt a kid, you get to name the kid. He is the only one that has purchased the naming rights to your soul. Galatians, last one, I can do this all day. Galatians 4 says that Jesus, when he died on the cross, it was the redemption price that he paid to adopt you. Do you know what Jesus was doing when he opened his veins on the cross? He was paying his adoption fees to make you his child. You see, the entire New Testament is this story that you have been adopted by the God of the universe and that now your identity has changed, your future has changed, your past has been erased, your name has been changed, you've got a new inheritance, your relationship with God is one of a father. Okay, now, if this is, um, here, here let, me, let, me, let me land it here. If this is not making sense, let me give you story, okay? Let me give you story. Uh, what James is saying here is he's saying understanding that we are adopted leads us to people who are adoptive in the world. I'll, let, let me do, do it this way. I could put it like this. James is saying the clearest sign that you've been adopted by God is that you've developed a heart for the adoption of orphans. Now, here, here's, so when we adopted our kids, you just gotta know this. When you start adopting children, let me just tell y'all, it creates some moments, um, some moments. That it create, I'll be honest, it creates some funny moments. 
Uh, we, we, you know, our kids grew up, and they look different than us. Our kid, we, we're not uncomfortable with that. Our kids look different than us. And so we grew up talking about that, and, you know, you're brown, and I'm peach, and, you know. And so a while ago, Jana, um, there's a little while, Jana really liked that uh, TV show, Blackish. And so we were watching Blackish uh, in our living room, the kids around, and all of a sudden, one of our daughters, she was looking at the TV, and then she looked at us, you know. She looked at the TV, <laughs> and then she like look, she looked back at us, and then all of a sudden, like her eyes got real big, and she went, "Mom, Dad, can you imagine if a whole family was brown? The whole family! Imagine if a whole..." And we were like, "Babe, we sure can. We can't do that for you, but we can imagine it. You know that kind of." So it creates some funny moments. Uh, I'll be honest; uh, it creates some frustrating moments. Um, the true story: I was in a Kroger with one of my daughters, standing right next to me in line. A uh, person in front of me just kind of notices our family's different. We started talking about adoption, that kind of thing. And then this person with my daughter standing next to me, this is what they said. They said, do you also want to have any real children? Yeah, that's how I, that's what I thought. As soon as they said that, it was like the sky went dark. My pupils dilated. I heard a voice say, finish him. You know, it was like, I was like ready to just murder this dude, you know? And it, so it was like, it creates some, you know, it creates some frustrating moments. And then, uh, but listen, more than that, here's what adoption does, is it creates these mind-blowingly amazing moments, okay? Um, I mentioned earlier our daughter, Felicity. The picture you're about to see on the screen is from, uh, it's a special day in an adoptive family's life. It's called uh, the Adoption Finalization Day. So it's they place the child with you and then you have this child for a series of months and they're kind of checking you out, make sure you're legit, you're not shady, anything. And then uh, your heart attaches to the child, obviously. But then there comes a moment where everything's legally cleared and you go to a, a courtroom to make the adoption legally binding. And this is that moment for Felicity. This was her adoption finalization day. That's a much younger Josh with less gray temples. And, uh, and then there's little precious Felicity right there. And then there's Jana with mascara just flowing down her cheeks. And this judge was a great Christian Jesus-y dude. And we're there, and, um, and this is what he said to us. Listen really close to this. We stand in front of the judge. We're holding this girl that in about 60 seconds becomes legally our child forever, okay? And the judge looks at it, looked at us, and here's what he said. He said, Josh and Jana Howerton, this is the child that you have chosen to adopt? And we said, yes, your honor. And he said, Josh and Jana Howerton, he asked us a series of questions. Josh and Jana Howerton, do you understand that this child's name will be henceforth legally changed to Felicity Hope Howerton? And we said, yes, we understand. And then he said, Josh and Jana Howerton, you understand that henceforth she will have the right to an inheritance from you and that it is in fact illegal for you to try to disinherit this child? And we said, yes, your honor, we understand. And then he said, Josh and Jana Howerton, do you accept responsibility for her physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way? And with tear-stained cheeks, we said, yes, Your Honor, with all our hearts, we do. And in that moment, Felicity became a legal child of ours in a legally binding way. Now, we're there and we're like weeping. If I had mascara, it'd be on my shoes too, okay? But, and, and listen, we, part of us was obviously is we were moved with emotion from my daughter, but honestly, a bigger part of it is we're standing there experiencing this and we're realizing this is what God did for us. You see, do you understand this? That if you are a Christian, 
There was a moment in eternity past where Jesus, your advocate, that's courtroom language. The Bible says Jesus went into a courtroom. He's your advocate. He's your attorney with you. God is the judge. There was a moment in eternity past where Jesus stood before the judge and God the Father looked at Jesus and he said, do you understand that this is the child that you have chosen to adopt? And Jesus said, yes, your honor, in love, I predestined this child to adoption as a son through Jesus Christ, the praise of his glorious grace, yes. And then he said, do you understand that the name of the child that was previously called not my people will be legally changed to a son of the living God? And Jesus said, yes, your honor, I understand that. And then God said, do you understand that henceforth he will have a right to inherit everything that is yours and that it actually you cannot disinherit this child? And Jesus said, yes, your honor, I understand. And then God said, do you accept responsibility for Josh? Physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way. And in that moment, Jesus said, yes, your honor, at the cost of my own blood, yes, I accept responsibility for him. And in that moment, my status was legally changed. And I, who was not God's people, became eternally a child of the living God. I was adopted, adopted into his family. And listen, do you understand? That has happened for you. If you are a Christian, you have been adopted by the God of this universe. You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That he has an eternal love that has been placed on you. That you cannot be disinherited. That your future is Jesus' future. And he has erased your past. That has happened for you. Now listen, you may hear all that. You may go, okay, so what? (laughs) So what? Let me give some very just straightforward, bold action steps. All right? Now listen, heads up. I'm going to be very straightforward right here, man. I have never preached on adoption and it not absolutely wreck the trajectory of somebody's life. You're welcome. Okay. So I'm about to do that. All right. So listen, I got two application points, just a couple sentences here. Okay. Number one, this is especially for people. If you are younger, if you are unmarried, if you're single, or if you're newly married and you're still kind of building your family, here's my challenge to you. Now, listen, I got some caveats. All right. Not everyone is called to adopt. Not everybody. In fact, let me be real honest. A lot of you shouldn't. A lot of you, hey man, let's focus on on, on our family that's in front of us. Let's water our grass. Let's get our house in order. Let's do that. A lot of you shouldn't. But, so, so just hear that. Not everybody's called to adopt. And if you never adopt, you should have absolutely no false guilt about that whatsoever. But not everybody's called to adopt, but everybody's called to do something. Listen, you can't change the world but you can change someone's world. And here's my challenge to you. If you are still have years in front of you where you might be building a family, my challenge is that you at least pray and ask God if he wants at least one of your children to be part of your family through adoption. I'm asking you to consider that. We have an adoption fund through the Lake Point, uh, through Lake Point Missions. We will financially help you do that, okay? So here's what you can do. If that's something you're like, I need more information on that, God is stirring something in my heart. You can email Lake Point. Uh, you can email, oh wait, you can email missions at lakepoint.church and we'll get you some info. We'll connect you with an agency, all that stuff. So that's number one. Now, number two, <laughs> some of you guys hear that and you're like, Josh, that's awesome, but that is not exactly the season of life that I am in right now. You know, uh, we're on the grandchildren phase and you know, that kind of, that's not where we're at. Okay, well, you may go, hey, I'm, I'm too old. Let me say this. You may never adopt personally, but by contributing here at Lake Point, you are helping adopt dozens and dozens. I'm praying that God might raise up hundreds 
of families that you're helping do that. So now, from now through the end of the year, we're receiving our annual missions offering. And that goes to fund Lake Point Missions. And one of the things you're helping fund is our adoption fund that scholarships families who are taking orphans and making them beloved sons and daughters. So what you give to annual missions offering above your regular giving through the rest of the year, it helps fund that. You can give to AMO in one of two ways. There's an envelope on the seat in front of you that just says annual missions offering. You can put your gift in there or you can text the word give to the number 20411 and choose annual missions offering from the drop down menu, okay? Now, man, uh, right now I wanna pray that God will begin to stir that at our church. So will you pray with me, please? Let me, let me pray for, for, for you. So Heavenly Father, Thank you that we can call on you as a heavenly father. Thank you that you went to a cross and you paid the dues to adopt us as children. God, please let us never get over that. We never, ever, ever want that to become like routine in our lives. So father, bless us with awareness. Lord, I do pray that you would move in Lake Point families and that even like right now, while I'm praying, right now, there'd be something stirring inside of chests, inside of souls, families, fathers, mothers, realizing this is a calling you're placing on them and that you would raise them up. And God, for all of us, would you move inside of us to generosity and care for the families that are doing that? We want to be used by you. We pray that in Jesus' crucified, risen name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. slash